Welcome to the Holy Huga Podcast. I'm Jamie, your host, and I'm really glad you're here. I'm a wife and a mom of five who loves scruffy hospitality and intentional living. In this podcast, I dive into seven of the major pillars that create the popular Danish practice of Huga and how they intersect with the Christian faith. My prayer is that these conversations will help us both create homes that reflect the one whose spirit is making a home in us. Come on in. As someone who lived well below the poverty line for most of her growing up years, I'm going to confess to struggling with the idea of home decor or spending any kind of money on decorations. If truth be told, during my newlywed years when I was setting up house and had way more month than money, I actually abhorred the idea of purchasing wall art and you know throw pillows and design accessories so much so that I kind of silently judged those who clearly spent their money on them, assuming that it was just careless and a wasted privilege of their financial resources. And then a woman from my church, a woman who had previously been high up on my list of decorating offenders, spoke about interior design at a woman's event. And she claimed that her efforts to make beautiful spaces were her way of mimicking the creativity of God, the decorator of the first home. She went on to say that it wasn't enough just to make pretty spaces. The pretty actually had to have a purpose. She wanted to create a haven where her family and her friends felt nurtured, where they felt safe and refreshed. She wanted to create Huga in her home. Well, I'll tell you what, her words began to slowly shift my beliefs about homemaking. In all honesty, I still kind of struggle with the idea of spending money on stuff, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe my hesitation actually forces me to give the kind of careful consideration that good stewardship demands. I think Huga welcomes both. Today I have with me Sarah Simons, the popular blogger and interior design expert from Grace in My Space, and she's going to help us take a closer look at the Huga tenant of atmosphere. We're so glad to have you, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, can you give us just the cliff notes of your life? Let's take a little bit closer um, lens to Sarah. Where are you located? What do you do? Just give us a peek at the person and um, Sarah, the professional. Absolutely. So I am in West Michigan, which has been home to me for about 20 years. But previously, I grew up as a military brat. So I traveled the world with my dad being in the Air Force and have experienced a lot of different cultures, a lot of different areas of the United States, a lot of different areas of the world. And that has really shaped how I view homemaking and haven making. And so just in the last six years, I took that to a professional level and started Grace in My Space, where I get to share all the ups and downs of creating beautiful and purposeful spaces with my audience. 
I love this idea that you traveled so often. I guess that was a piece of your story I did not know because I too, you know, growing up, I think in my first 22 years, I had moved 18 times and there was a sense of hesitation to even unpack, better yet decorate, you know, my little four walls of my bedroom. And I wonder if some of that has carried over into my adulthood, like I'm, I'm living on, um, I'm living in a pause, like waiting for the next thing. So I would love to explore that in a bit because it sounds like we have kind of a similar story. Well, I want to start out, Sarah, by reading just a passage from Proverbs 24 that will hopefully lay some groundwork for our discussion today. And these words come from verses three and four, and they read, by wisdom, a house is built and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Atmosphere, I think, is usually the very first thing that folks think of when contemplating Huga. You know, don't we all love the stuff of Instagram, the cozy fire in the warm blanket, all the muted paint colors that are popular right now? But from a believer's perspective, what's behind that spirit of creating an atmosphere in your home? Is it is it wrong to desire those things, do you think? Well, obviously, I don't think it's wrong. I think that, you know, just doing what I do, I find so much value in it because not only are you creating something that is pleasing to look at, but it's also, like you said, creating an atmosphere of welcome. It's creating an invitation for people to join you in your space. I mean, there's a lot of different things that go into creating atmosphere. I think that when Huga first started becoming more popular back in 2016, 17 in the States, um, and we started to kind of take on that tenant in our homes, we really did focus on the cozy factor. And just from reading your book and from processing more about how to create atmosphere, how to be hospitable, there's so much more that goes into it than coziness. There's so much more that goes into it than hot chocolate and a fire. There is that welcome invitation that says, you're you're absolutely welcome to be in my personal space and I want you here. And an invitation is is just that. It's so inviting. It's very inclusive. It gathers, it welcomes. And I think that, you know, the very first peak that someone has to you and yourself, your family, um, your home is, you know, when they step in the door and they get like a visual cue of who you are by what you've surrounded yourself with. And I actually think coziness um, isn't a bad thing. It's definitely one of those um, elements of atmosphere, but I don't think it's the only element of atmosphere. I personally think that atmosphere is like when all of your senses are in harmony and at peace with one another. So it's not just enough to have something pretty to look at on the wall when you've got like really loud blurring music in the other room and you, you know, you can't concentrate, you cannot have a conversation that certainly puts everything at disharmony. So I think atmosphere has to play into every single one of our senses. You know, if you're, if your house smells like a dumpster, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's going to be very unappealing and very unwelcoming and inviting. So I think when you're talking about atmosphere, we have to remember it's not just the things that you put in your spaces. Would you agree with that, Sarah? 
Absolutely. I mean, like you said, all five senses go into how somebody perceives something. So smell will play a huge part and you can create a pleasant atmosphere with candles or with a simmer pot with, you know, there's a variety of ways to add smell to your home. But then, like you said, soft music playing in the background, uh, visually appealing items, textures that are cozy to touch when you sit on the couch. All of these things kind of play into that overall feeling of atmosphere. But I think, honestly, the most important part, part of atmosphere is really just the tone that you set. So a lot of times I've heard from people who follow me at Grace in My Space that they don't want to host. They don't want to um, have that kind of hospitality where people are actually entering their home because they don't feel good enough. And that to me really is is the, the key to everything. If somebody walks into your home and you are apologizing for it, if you're saying, oh, I'm sorry, this isn't clean enough. Oh, I'm sorry, this is, you know, a two-year-old pillow. I, I should have done better, you know, and you're just kind of like apologizing for everything in your home, then that's immediately setting the other person on edge. It's not creating that welcoming atmosphere and it's not really letting them relax and be a part of your space. It kind of sets them on edge and they're kind of sitting back like, okay, well, maybe it's not good enough when that might not have entered their minds at all. So not only is it those five senses, but it's also the tone that you set as you're inviting people in and saying, I'm so glad you're here regardless of how old my pillows are, or regardless of whether or not I created a beautiful table setting. I'm just happy to have you. That's such a great point. Whenever we lead with a preamble, we're actually setting the expectations for the other person. Like, I have in my head, this is perfection, and here's where I fall short. And so now they understand what we think perfection is supposed to be and are probably sitting there thinking, oh, I guess that's what they expect of me. It, it sort of does the absolute opposite of invitational living. Well, what does an unhealthy view of interior design look like? Because I, I confess to having one side of that spectrum of, you know, quietly judging those whose houses were beautiful, assuming that they spent far too much money than they should have. It was a waste of resources and, and on and on and on. But I know that there also is an, a, an, a perspective on the other end of that spectrum. So what does that look like? Sure. I think the other end of that spectrum can very easily be the keeping up with the Joneses mentality. Um, In our world of Pinterest and Instagram and YouTube and the media and advertisements, just constantly throwing in your face your need for more, your need for improvement, your need for um, the next best thing and staying on trend. That is the, the danger zone of interior design, because in reality, you will never be able to keep up with the world. There, There's never a ceiling that you'll be able to break through. You will always have to keep going up unless you form a sense of contentment in the Lord and what he's done in your space and what you've done in your space and the effort that you've put in. And so that is the opposite extreme where I have to buy this next thing. Oh, you know, Target dropped their new line. I have to get something from it because everybody told me to. And just having that uh, mentality of a consumer mindset. I love the fact that you brought in contentment because it really does show how all 
you know, seven tenets of a Hugo lifestyle, all the seven major ones that at least I've touched in my book are so intricately woven with each other because contentment is one of those tenets. But when we have an unhealthy view or an unhealthy posture in any of the other six, it sort of affects contentment. It affects atmosphere. They're all touching together. And so when one is out of alignment, they all kind of shift and get out of alignment Well, let's shift a little bit. And I want to hear from you personally. How do your spaces draw you and your people into closer communion with Christ or or do they? And how does design play into, let's say, your kingdom work? Absolutely. So there's two parts to that. There is the professional part where Grace in My Space is obviously a very public platform on social media, on my blog. Um, and through wonderful podcasts like this, where I get to talk about interior design. And so there's the public professional side. And then there's also the private side, because obviously my home is also my work, which is a little bit tricky because it does have to be that um, tenuous balance between being inspiring for others to learn and to try things in their own home and also being content with my space. And so from a professional side, um, it's been wonderful to be able to share ideas, think outside the box, be able to express creativity in home design um, through everything from a simple five-minute craft all the way to six-month renovations. And so that has been an amazing journey to share that with followers and be able to say, look, this is what I'm doing. These are some of the like overarching design rules that you can follow but the whole um, mentality behind my brand is that design rules can be thrown out the window in a heartbeat and that's just fine. Yes, there are ways to make something look perfect, but do you need to? Probably not. You can probably just do enough for you and have it be enough and end with that contentment phase. And then on the the personal side, we focus heavily on creating a space where we can invite people in to host for entertaining reasons, but also we host a home church. We've hosted a small group for years, having, you know, nine families in our house at once, over 50 people sometimes on a Sunday and just really focusing on these are the things that we need for that group, for the small children that come in and I don't have small children anymore. So I've got to pull out the pack and play and I'm pulling out the bouncer and some baby toys. And we're keeping the dog away from their faces because she has a whipping tail and, you know, all these things that kind of go into ensuring that somebody feels welcome and feels like they can rest, which I think is very important for us. We don't want people to walk into our home and feel on edge or feel like it's a museum and they can't, live in the space. And so it's always kind of that fine balance for me personally between, you know, giving that inspiring side for my work, but also giving that comforting, welcoming side for personal life. You said the word need, and I think that really is the key. Like, what do your people need? It's one thing to look to Instagram for inspiration, but when you look at those nine squares, you always have to remember 
you know, that's their home. That reflects their personality. That reflects their time and attention and needs. So what is my need and how can I design a space that shows there are signs of life here, our lives, that people actually live here, that I have designed um, areas in my home that welcome not just outsiders, but the ones who actually live and breathe 24-7 in these walls that I'm saying, you matter here. You are welcome here too. And I think sometimes when we focus so much on the aesthetics and what it looks like, like you said, creating a museum, we actually put those who live here ill at ease. You know, when we're so um, focused on, you know, don't, don't put dirt on that. Don't, don't sit on that with your feet. Don't, you know, put that cup there or whatever. We have so many constricting rules that those who live here actually can't find life here. So, so I imagine that there are some listeners who land in all different places on the interior design spectrum, as I have and still do. I'd love to hear your thoughts for the person who, you know, just purchased a house or maybe put a lease on an apartment, the one with a blank slate and is kind of feeling overwhelmed by all the choices. What kinds of design aesthetics can that person focus on to make a home that's not just uh, pretty, but purposeful? Because I think sometimes when we have that blank slate, you know, I moved three years ago and I had this empty house and I had nothing in it yet, but that blank slate really was a bit overwhelming to me. Can you just share with us um, three or four home design features that will give you some immediate um, success, what should we throw our time, attention, and money to right away? Absolutely. I would focus first on your gathering spaces. So kitchens, living or family rooms, and dining rooms are usually the main gathering spaces where your family is going to live. You will do life there every day. They are the most used rooms in a home, but they're also the most used rooms for uh, hosting, for hospitality. And so if you're able to, first of all, take it a step at a time, because I think that is the overwhelming portion is that somebody looks at a whole house and tries to design a whole house at once. If you don't have the uh, training to do that, that's almost an impossible task. And that is what paralyzes so many people from moving forward in any space because they think that they have to have the whole home done at once. But instead, just piecing it out into those three rooms as a focused start and being able to say, now I know where I have to begin. Let me set some goals. What is our main use for these rooms? Because dining rooms specifically um, nowadays, they don't usually get used for dinner. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times people are doing dinner um, at the kitchen island or on the go. And so maybe you have a dining room that you could actually turn into like a game room. And figuring out how you're going to use those spaces for your own personal family. Set some goals, ask the questions, what is going to be the best use for this space, and then take the design steps. Because if you don't start the process with goal setting and with really asking those questions of purpose, then the design is always going to feel off. It's always going to feel like you tried something and it didn't work. If it's not first 
uh, laying the foundation of a purpose in this space. And so that's where I like to start for any room. But then beyond that, doing things like wall treatments are extremely extremely effective at creating a more cozy space that's less builder grade, it's more personal and custom feeling, and they're really affordable. Borden Batten's a great option. Um, Shiplap has come and gone in popularity, but I still enjoy Shiplap, especially when it's done as kind of a backdrop for bookcases or something that's a little bit on a smaller scale than an entire room. Um, but just some of those really customizable things to do the overall architecture of a room and then start into the decor because the decor can so easily be changed in and out with trends, with the season, with just your own personal tastes that change over time. And so if I were to focus on something that is a longer term impact and investment, it would be kind of the architecture of your home and how you want that to feel. I had my husband paint our stairwell this summer and I picked out the paint color that I thought for sure that was it. He painted it. I absolutely hate it. (laughs) But I know it's just one paint bucket away from loving it. And that's an easy, easy fix. So what about those of us who have like a million and a half children? We're already currently living in our house. We have a lot of clutter, a lot of buildup in our space. Every All the rooms are already filled, but we need a switch. We need a change. Something's not working. The clutter is piling up and we definitely don't see the design aesthetic happening um, because the clutter is such an issue. So how can we create pretty spaces when our spaces are already filled and maybe we feel a little hampered by the furniture and um, design pieces that we already have because we already have them and there's this guilt level of getting rid of them or replacing them. Absolutely. So I would say there's a twofold answer for, for the organization and the, the clutter issue. I go through that all the time. My kids have crazy messy rooms all the time. That's just a normal part of life, right? Everybody has mess. So when I get to that point of feeling overwhelmed by the clutter, I usually grab a box of trash bags and I give the kids three each. They're responsible for their own rooms and then I will tackle the rest of the house. And one bag is for donation. One bag is for trash because inevitably there's an unseemly amount of trash. (laughs) And then one bag is for um, a repurposing. And you can really easily get stuck in this item was used for this. And so it can only ever be used for this. Whereas there's actually a lot of freedom and creativity in using something for a new purpose. Um, Maybe that old nightstand could be turned into a small art station, or maybe your your tall bookcases can be combined into one room and you can create a library. And just kind of rethinking how things can be used, especially if you don't like them anymore, um, goes a long way in, in not feeling wasteful, not feeling like, okay, well, my dining table, it's out of style now, so I'm just going to sell it and get a new one. And I'll probably end up paying triple the price for a new one as what I bought this one for because the economy is insane right now, but I just don't like it anymore. Well, you could actually say instead, why don't you just refinish it? Why don't you paint it? 
why don't you try adding um, a new take on what it should look like? And really just taking the time to look at something, especially if you don't like it in your home and saying, okay, I don't like this. What don't I like? What is feasible for me to do to change it? And maybe even what could be a different purpose where I could use this and like it better? I think the repurposing has really um, helped to rescue my house more times than I can even admit. I have a dresser that was actually my grandmother's dresser when she was a girl. And I think it's been used to hold games. It was my daughter's dresser when she was a brand new baby. And right now it's currently filled with all kinds of homeschool resources and materials. And it's been painted a million times. You know, if you peel back the layers, it would tell you the chronology of my life. But when it doesn't work or fit the purpose that it had, you have to be willing to say, okay, that was a really great purpose for it then, but it's served its purpose. And now what else can I use it for as opposed to just feeling like you have to get rid of it? I'd also add to what Sarah was saying, and and I'm not the professional um, interior designer, but I do have a million children and I feel like clutter can certainly, you know, be the wave that crashes over the whole thing and makes us all drowned. Um, one thing that I really had to force myself to understand is I I feel like I was always in denial about the natural traffic patterns of my home. Like we come through the door and we we jump we dump all our stuff over here. And before I would always tell myself, well I have to train us to actually go over here to put our stuff. But that wasn't the natural that wasn't our natural traffic pattern. We would dump our stuff where we dumped our stuff. And so I finally just kind of leaned into that and said, okay, if we're going to walk into the door and here is where we end up putting our stuff, regardless of how many times we practice it otherwise, I'm going to get a container to put the stuff so that it doesn't just look like clutter. So for me, with lots of people and lots of stuff, it really became, you know, I just had to tell myself, this is this is how we live and I can't be in denial about how we live. So I have to find ways to work within how we live um, and just kind of find containers to contain it. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that to that point, a lot of people are rethinking purposes of rooms because of that reason. You know, they are expanding the size of a mudroom because they need more of that dumping ground location because it just makes sense. You come in from your garage or from your driveway and you don't want to haul it all the way through the house to the room on the opposite end where you have your organized office set up. It's just more convenient and convenience plays a huge role in design. That functionality, that really matters. Yeah. And it can go all the way down to the nitty gritty spaces that you have in your house. Like I think of my kitchen and the fact that I have, you know, baking goods in a spot in a cupboard where most people would say that's the worst place to put ba all your baking items, but that's where I bake. So I actually saved myself like six steps across the kitchen to the proper cupboard where baking goods should be stored because I'm actually leaning into how I really live my life and using the spaces accordingly. I had a friend who actually took out all of her dining or all of her living room furniture. And I think that's another key to reorienting and redesigning spaces. You actually have to empty your space and kind of quiet your space to really see what it should be, not what it has been. And so she emptied out her living room and then decided, you know what? 
I don't actually hang out in my living room as a living room. She was a single woman. You know, she if she was going to watch television, she'd do it in her bedroom. So she ended up um, putting hardwood floors in there and creating a larger dining room because when she had people over, that's what they were doing. They were eating together. And so when you walked into her house, it, it sort of took you back a little bit because you walked right into this giant dining room. But it was perfect for her because that was what she needed not what was not what somebody else was doing but what she actually was doing with her life so getting back to my original feelings about decorating a home sarah what would you say to the naysayers like former jamie who would push against the idea of decorating or redecorating a home to make it cozy or visually and emotionally appealing do you think any of those concerns have merit what do you say to that person I say examine your heart because I think that the there's always going to be naysayers, but there's also always going to be different stylistic preferences. I love an organic modern home. I do not love a boho home, but that doesn't mean that I would walk into somebody else's space and say, your boho home is incorrect. It's all about that person's heart. If you are coming from a judgmental and critical posture, then you're going to have that mentality no matter what space you walk into. So there's that element for sure from just a humanity standpoint. But also, I would say learn to love what other people love because somebody could have, you know, the smallest home that is so sparsely decorated that somebody might walk in and think that they had nothing. But perhaps that person put 100% of effort into creating what she could with what she had. And so if we walk in with that critical mindset and this judgment that's lurking behind the scenes, even though we might not think that it's judgment, then we are you know, desecrating her hard work and her effort and something that she loves instead of building her up and saying, oh, this beautiful vase of flowers that you picked from the yard is amazing. And it created such a beautiful welcoming look on your dining room table. And that's all that, all that they needed because that was what made them happy. And so Yes, there's going to be stylistic differences. Some people love minimalism. They love, you know, monotone spaces. Some people love collections and clutter and what other people might feel is over the top. But that's what our homes are about. It's about creating a space that we love and a space that we can welcome people into and a space that we believe has the potential to open up the doors for conversation and open up the doors for um, sharing the gospel and just creating a space where conversation can happen. And so, of course, there's always going to be people who love more or love less. And it's just a challenge to people to look inside your own heart and say, "What's what's my driving force right now in the way that I'm thinking? And to remember that we're all wired differently. Like God has, I I truly believe God has gifted some people in my life with just this innate natural sense of design that I don't have. But he's also gifted me with things that they don't have. And neither one is any more important than the other. I think there has to be a balance when we're talking about 
any gifting that God has given us. And when we take it to an unhealthy extreme and it's become an idol in our life, there's certainly room for exhortation there. But when we can champion people in their giftings and not um, view it from a critical eye, because oftentimes, to be honest, a critical eye is really just at the root um, is jealousy often or even a sense of I'm lesser than and in order to you know draw the attention away from me I have to put someone else down or their their passions and their gifts what about Christian design and and I use that term Christian design with a heavy use of air quotes I think the Christian design um, is a very lucrative industry there's no end to like scriptural wall art and throw pillows with hashtag blessed on them. What are your thoughts about about adding quote Christian into our decor? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I've never really looked at it from a consumerism standpoint. I suppose I've always looked at it as, well, that's lovely if people want to share Christ through posting scripture on their wall. Um, and again, I do think that it goes back to the intentionality behind it. You know, are you, are you putting it up because you want people to think that you're this amazing Christian? Are you putting it up because you want it to be a conversation starter um, where somebody looks at it and says, what's that about? And then you can tell them what that is about. Um, or is it just kind of trendy? Because that can totally be the case as well. Words were, you know, signs with words were a huge trend in the home decor world for many years. And you still see that um, in most retail stores. So I think that it just goes back to personal intentionality. There is always going to be space for that. And there's always going to be criticism of that. So where do you land on your confidence in putting that in your home and what it means to you and to those that gather there? Yeah, I think often the key is, like you said, intentionality, because scripture um, does indicate at times where God instructed the Israelites to market on their doorposts, you know, to declare with their spaces who he was and what he is doing. I think the trouble comes when we lean into our Christian wall art and we say that that's enough. Like the question we should be asking ourselves is, does my life reflect what my wall says I am? And that really is the most important thing. It's not enough to just have Christian wall art on your on your walls if the rest of your life is not congruent with the truth that is being proclaimed on that Christian wall art. Yes. And that can be very damaging, really. If you have invited somebody into your home, they see uh, a verse hanging on the wall and they immediately think, well, that's surprising, you know, and and that's never a, a good thing for a Christian testimony to have somebody be surprised that you follow Christ. You do not ever want that, obviously. The fruits of the Spirit should be evident in your life. And so when somebody comes in and they see that, they're like, yes, that fits. And so you don't ever want it to be the damaging side of it where somebody is is a little bit shocked. That's that's never good. <laughs> your wall art should actually just reflect what is what is happening in the hearts 
and minds of the people who live in that home. Well, one of the core foundations of Huga is that and the outward life will always affect the inward life, Sarah. So I want to know what is an outward something that you've enjoyed lately that has really helped to set your inward life in a good direction? Yeah, absolutely. So outwardly, um, I have been really being more intentional in getting outside and just the physical action of being outside. As somebody who works on their home, it can be very easy to literally be inside the house 24 hours and and never leave, you know, if I don't have other commitments of the day. And so when you do that, it can become a bit of an idol. It can immediately feel like you have to attain to some sort of ridiculous cultural standard because your eyes are never up and your eyes are, your eyes are never out. And so from a, an interior design perspective, it's really amazing to go outside of your home, to look at the world for, you know, all of the beauty that God created in it and for the wonderful things that we can still see in humanity and to appreciate that. And it gives you a little bit more of a sense of satisfaction when you can come back to a home that you have created for rest, when you've gone out and seen the world and been a part of the world and been impactful in the world in some other way, um, and then come back home to your retreat. Yeah, that is paramount in the Danish lifestyle, that your home should be the place that feels like a retreat, a safe haven from the the tumult of the world. I want to just add to what you said for your outward life. I love taking a walk. That's what I've been doing lately. But at this particular time of year, what I do when I walk, I gather just along the side of the sidewalk, I gather up basically weeds. They're, they're not the types of flowers you would intentionally plant, but just the life that is growing, you know, God is the perfect designer and decorator and everything he does is seasonally appropriate. And so at this time of the year, when things are beginning to shift and change and colors are becoming really vibrant, I'm going out with a pair of scissors on my walk and cutting out cutting off little clippings of weeds to bring back, to bring a little bit of the outside in. And it doesn't cost me anything, but just a few steps out my door. And that really does do a lot to sort of reorient my my feelings when I see just fresh life still blooming, even when other things around are starting to go into that dormant fallow season. There's a scene in the cherished childhood novel on the banks of Plum Creek that I think perfectly sums up this idea of creating a hugely atmosphere. The Ingalls family had just moved into their soddy dugout, literally just a hole carved into the earth with a door and then like an open window space. Their floor was dirt. Their roof was grass. Their walls at times were physically crumbling around them. There was nothing impressive about their space. And yet we read that Laura and her sister, Mary, presented Ma with a handful of blue flag flowers that they had gathered out in the prairie. And to quote the author, she said, Ma put them on the table to make it pretty. Such a simple addition, a small bit of design that made a huge impact on the feelings of their home. If this scene teaches the old Jamie anything, it's this. Beauty isn't bad. And it doesn't have to drain you or leave you financially depleted. And this is something I've learned, but this is also something that I'm still learning. 
Thank you for joining me. And Sarah, thank you so much for giving us some great ideas to help us cultivate creative and nurturing spaces in our homes. If you're listening and you'd like to know more about how to create space for Huga in your home, I'd encourage you to grab a copy of my book, Holy Huga, Creating a Place for People to Gather and the Gospel to Grow. We'll be looking at the Huga Lieutenant of Comfort next time, so I hope you'll tune in. For now, I just want to send you off with a benediction, if I might, and this comes from Psalm 16, 5 through 11, and it reads, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 